Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. I reserve the right to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're not going to do that sermon bumper, Tari. I just want to mention a few things to you, and I really want to hone in. I really feel like the Holy Spirit. Catherine, will you just stay there with me? Josh, you can stay. Tyler, you can go ahead if you want to, if you need to. Um, but I just, I, I just want us to... To, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I really sense he's got a word for us today. Tal, would you give me some house lights so I can see everybody just a moment? Um, I just want to... Uh, I want to take you to two passages of Scripture. Um, as you know, last week we started um, this road to Easter where we started talking about the stops along the way that Jesus made before he was crucified and before he rose from the dead, right? We started diving in. Last week we talked about the triumphal entry. If you've got your little card, you can write that in, triumphal entry on Sunday. On Monday, he cleanses the temple. I think it's really important for us to slow down and uh, pay attention to what is happening because when we read the account of what's happening, I'm afraid if, what, if we're not careful, what happens is we push right past it and we don't think it has any implications for us. And I want you to know that what happened in Jesus' life on Monday when he cleanses the temple has implications for us. All right, so just, I'm not going to take long. And, and if you're type A like me and you want to fill in all the blanks, you're going to be sadly disappointed this morning because I'm not going to get to them all. But I just want to read these two passages of Scripture, two, two accounts. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 21. This is the Monday of Jesus' life right here. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through verse 17, it says this. Jesus went straight to the temple, and he threw out everyone who had set up shop, buying and selling. He kicked over the tables of the loan sharks and, he, and the stalls of the dove merchants. He quoted this text. My house was designated a house of prayer. You have made it a hangout for thieves. Now there was room for the blind and the crippled to get in. And they came to Jesus and he healed them. And when the religious leaders saw the outrageous things he was doing and heard all the children running and shouting through the temple, Hosanna to David's son, they were up in arms and they took him to task. Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes, I hear them. And haven't you read in God's word from the mouths of children and babies, I will furnish a place of praise. Fed up, Jesus spun around and he left the city for Bethany where he spent the night. Just real briefly, just let me tell you what's going on here. Jesus shows up at the temple on Monday morning and he discovers that all these uh, merchants were in the temple. He literally goes into the Gentile court where people that are not of Jewish descent get to come and hear about God and worship God. It's as close to God as they could get. They couldn't get into the inner places where Jews could go. Most historians believe that this area had enough room to handle 75,000 people. It was a large area. And the priests have set up tables and they're doing money changing. The reason is, is in Exodus chapter um, uh, 30, Moses declares that everybody that comes to worship in the temple has to bring a half a shekel to pay a temple tax so that the temple can stay in business. The problem was is that the people that were coming to, to the temple in the Gentile court are not Jews and so they don't have shekels. They have foreign currency. And so the priests recognized this. They capitalized on this and they set up a money-changing table. It would be okay. It would be allowable except they began to charge inflation. 
And so now most historians believe that by the end of this, or at, during this season, that the priests were making somewhere around the neighborhood of $300,000 a year by ripping off the people, charging them more money. To make matters worse, the people had to bring sacrifices. They would bring the dove, the pigeon, the goat, the lamb, whatever from home. And they would, they would think that they brought the best one. They would get into the Gentile court and the priest would look at their sacrifice and say, no, that one's not good enough, even though it was. And they would force them to buy a sacrifice there and they would charge them upwards to 30 times the going rate to fill their pockets. And Jesus looks at the priests, the church folks, and he says, you bunch of hypocrites. This is Monday. He takes the tables and he kicks them over and he throws them over and he chases them out. That, that account is repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That on the Monday that Jesus was facing death, the Monday that Jesus was facing crucifixion in the coming days, on Monday Jesus shows up at the temple and he chases the money to the temple. But in John, John doesn't make account in the last week of Jesus' life that this took place. John talks about an instance similar to this, but he mentions it in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, Jesus has just performed the first miracle. You know what that is. He turned the water into wine at the wedding feast. And now John says in chapter 2, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not at the end of his ministry, at the beginning of his ministry, John says he came to the temple. And he, I'm not even going to read it to you. We don't, uh, you can read it yourself. Go look it up. In John chapter 2, it says he took a, uh, some cords of leather and he formed a whip. And he chases the money changers out of the temple. And he says you're not supposed to be here. And his disciples recall a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament where it says, zeal for his house has consumed me. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say this happened on the Monday of Jesus' last week on earth. Most historians, Bible scholars believe that this is an entirely separate account because now John's talking about taking a whip and John's talking about uh, this different passage of Old Testament Scripture. And so they say it's two separate events. Stay with me just a moment because this is the application for us. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he cleans out the temple. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he cleans out the temple. He bookends both ends of his ministry by driving out Hypocrites and thieves and liars. And, and my question to you this morning is what is it in your life that Jesus dismissed, uprooted, destroyed in your life when you first met him that you have allowed to become reestablished and rerooted in your life now? When you first met Jesus, he got rid of the doubt. But now you've known him for 10 years and all of a sudden you find your, your mind is consumed with doubt and you're not really sure you know what you believe anymore. And, and he removed it at the beginning, but now you've discovered 
it's back in your life and it's established roots. When you first met Jesus, maybe maybe it was six years ago, maybe it was six months ago, maybe it was six weeks ago, you first met Jesus and he starts working on your heart and you discover that inside of me, I've got anger and I've got malice and I'm mad at everybody. And Jesus cleanses the temple of your life, gets rid of that and suddenly you love everybody. But now, six weeks later, six months later, six years later, your, your mind and your heart is filled with anger and your malice mad at everybody and everything. What did Jesus remove from your life in the beginning that you've allowed either yourself or the enemy or somebody else to reestablish in your life? And what I'm declaring to you today is that Jesus is here to uproot and take that thing back out of your life once and for all because the Bible declares in 1 Corinthians, Paul states this. He says, our body is the temple. This is the temple. He declares that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We have the the responsibility, the obligation to make sure that the temple of our life stays completely and totally clean. I want you to hear me this morning. You don't hear this preached a lot in church anymore, but I'm going to preach it this morning. I, I just want you to hear me. We must practice repentance. We must practice repentance. We must repeat repentance. We must make repentance a routine in our life where we come to the the Father like David did and said, God, create in me a clean heart. I need you to establish a clean heart. I need you to set up a clean heart inside of me. Make me clean again. Drive out everything that would set itself up that's not like you, any thought pattern, any activity, any action, any attitude any belief system, Jesus, that you removed out of my life when I first met you. God, get it completely out of my life again. I refuse to let it reroute, be reestablished. Clean me up, Jesus. Why? Because the Bible says that when Jesus does this, check this out, the children start running through the sanctuary and they begin to praise God and the church folk get mad. And Jesus says, you perfect praise in the mouth of babies and infants. Could it be that our praise is most perfect when we're pure? Could it be that the reason we struggle to get into his presence, could it be the reason that we struggle to worship? Could it be the reason we struggle to focus? Could it be the reason we we, we struggle to feel his presence is simply because our temple is all so convoluted and messed up with all this stuff that's been reestablished in our life that if we would just come back to Jesus and repent and say, clean me up, then all of a sudden out of that, the Bible declares that perfect praise comes out of us. And I, I tell you, this Jesus himself says this blessed are those who are pure in heart because they will see God come on do some logic with me and then we're going to pray if if he says those that are pure in heart see God then can't we logically also conclude that if our heart is not pure we don't see God and I just came to tell you that some of us need to have a Monday encounter with Jesus where he walks right into the middle of a a life, a heart, a situation that he'd cleaned out one time before. I know, I know he cleaned you out when you were eight. I know he cleaned you out when you went to camp. I know he cleaned you out when you went to church 25 years ago. I know you went to, I know he cleaned you out when you showed up at Easter six years ago. But my question is, are you still clean? Are you still clean? What, what did he 
I have to make a logical conclusion that if he cleaned it out the first time, then I have to assume that Jesus does not want that thing in my life at all. And yet I wonder how many of us are walking around filled up with stuff he got rid of a long time ago. And I'm just saying I found out in my own life I have to go back to Jesus on a regular basis and say, clean me up. Get rid of all that stuff. I thought I was already done with this, but I need you to clean me up. I need to allow him to kick the tables over in my life, turn the tables in my life again, destroy my thought patterns, destroy my disbelief, destroy my doubt, destroy my fear, destroy my anxiety, destroy my anger, destroy my prejudice, destroy my rage, destroy all that stuff so that I can have a clean heart and clean hands so that I can praise Him perfectly. Father, would you would you confront us today? We come in here, Father, like we're all that and everything is good and everything is right and I wonder how many of us this morning, Father, are walking filled up with stuff that you intended to be finished already. We need your help. I need your help. God, I'm asking for a spirit of repentance to overtake the people of passion and we would become people that repent often and quickly. That we fight to keep our temple clean because we want to see you, Father. We give you permission this morning, Jesus, to identify, to point out specifically things in our life that you already dismissed, that we've allowed to be reestablished, that have taken root. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to make this Sunday a Monday. I'm asking you to walk into my life and take the things that I've become comfortable with and that I think are normal business and that are okay. And I'm asking you to grab those things and shove them out of my life and to overturn them out of my life and to kick them to the curb and to drive them out so that I can have a, a temple that is open and clean and approachable and accessible and I can come into your presence with no guilt and no shame and I, you're accessible to me again because of the purity of my life. God, drive that stuff out. Drive that stuff out. Drive that stuff out. Drive that stuff out, God. I take authority over anger. I take authority over prejudice. I take authority over fear. I take authority over doubt. And I drive it out of my life. Do it in us, I pray, oh God. Do it in us, oh God, I pray. Do it in us, oh God, I pray. Do it in Steve, I pray. God, I keep hearing about revival. I keep hearing all over the land that revival's coming. God, I believe that revival is birthed out of a spirit of repentance. Make us repentive again. God, we repent. We don't act like we're as pure as we act. God, we believe that we need to repent. We call out on your name, oh Jesus. We repent.
Don't let us become comfortable with what you're appalled by. Come on, the worship team's going to just begin to sing. And I just really sense this morning that some of us need to spend some time on our face and on our knees before the Lord. And we need to repent and say, Jesus, drive it out, drive it out, drive it out, drive it out, drive it out. What is it in your life that he's got rid of that's back? We worship you. Some of us need to get on our face before God. Get on your face before our holy God. I won't be comfortable with what you're uncomfortable with. Your glory. 
Would you just begin to do this? Would you just begin to repent right now? Just begin to call out the things in your life that you've become comfortable with, that Jesus isn't comfortable with. Doesn't matter if, if you enjoy it. Doesn't matter if it's your preference. If Jesus is uncomfortable with it, then it doesn't belong in your life. So, Father, I repent of fear. I repent of anxiety. I repent of doubt. I repent of lust. I repent of anger. I repent of, of placing other things above you. I repent again of my apathy. I repent of being distracted. Whatever it is, God, I bring it all to you. I lay it at your feet. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Let my temple be unencumbered. Let the access to my Father be unrestricted by things in my life that I should have already been over, already passed, already done with. I repent. And out of that repentance, out of that repentance, Father, would you allow an atmosphere of perfect praise to be established in our life? Where when we sing and when we exalt you, there's no brass ceiling that it bounces back to us. Instead, the windows of heaven are opened. We worship you, Jesus. To set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. Cause I want more of you, God. Yeah, I want more of you, God. So set a fire down in our soul that I can't contain, that we can't control. Cause I want more of you, God. And I want more of you, God. So set a down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control.
So this is what I know. Man, I did not intend to go here, but let me just go here. This is what I know. The reason the religious leaders get so upset with Jesus is that historians believe that the, the, the inflation that they were adding to the temple tax was allowing them to pocket $300,000 a year. Think about the day, the time, $300,000 a year. After Jesus cleanses the temple, the Bible says that the sick and the lame came to him. They were no longer cut off from access to God because Jesus had run all that junk out. So the, the lame and the sick come to him and they're healed. That sounds like revival to me. Maybe if you've never been sick, maybe you've never been lame, maybe you've never been addicted, maybe you've never had a broken relationship, maybe you've never had any pain in your life, but when all of that is dealt with and you're healed, that sounds like revival to me. But I want you to notice that in order for that to happen, it cost. It cost them $300,000 a year. It cost them control. Hear me this morning. I'm hearing about revival breaking out all over the world where people are willing to pay the price. You missed it. Where they're willing to pay the price. I'm tired of people posting on Facebook, do it here, who aren't willing to pay the price to see him do it here. I need you to do it, but I want you to do it confined in my nice, neat little Sunday morning service, and then that's all I can give you, and I can't give you anything else. I can't come out for any more prayer. I can't praise any longer. I'm still, I'm still going to watch what I want to watch, hang out who I want to hang out with, do what I want to do, but I need you to send revival. Won't work. Never works. Won't happen. I am challenging you this morning to allow the Holy Spirit over the next few days before we gather back again to have complete and total access to every area of your life. Nothing off limits, nothing beyond his reach, nothing beyond his convicting power, nothing beyond my willingness to say, I give all that up to pay the price for you to do everything everything you want to do. So Father, I ask could you do it here? Of all the places in this area where people are calling on your name and hoping against hope that revival would come, could it be 
that in this house you would find a group of people willing to pay the price personally to allow you to do what only you can do. we recognize it all starts with repentance clean us out Father, I ask you to do this. I know this happens every time. We see it happen every time. When you begin to move and the lame begin to walk, the blind receive their sight, the needy find provision, the hopeless find hope. It happens every time every time church folk get upset because we either figure they're not worthy or because we've been asking for what they just received longer than they have and we become table monitors rather than doorkeepers who open a pathway to your presence and I come against any religious spirit and we declare that that will not be the case in this house or in our life when you begin to move and when you begin to set free and when you begin to save people that we wouldn't even consider worthy to be in the house, we will gladly open up the door and allow them in to the presence of a living God so that you can set them free, so that you can heal them, so that you can deliver them. We will become gracious people who have received grace. Do it here, Jesus. Do it here, Jesus.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.